what sets you apart as a pattern designer? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I, it's funny because my background, like what I studied in college, my major was art history. So I did a lot of researching, but I took a lot of classes in studio art. And I also took math classes for fun. Oh, right. They were yep. not for a major. They were not for a minor. <laughs> they were for fun. <laughs> You're listening to Fussy Cutters Club Podcast, a show that gives you permission to cut into the good fabric so you can make quilts you love. And now your host, who believes it's not a crime to love using novelty fabrics, Ange Wilson. Thanks for joining me today. Today I'm sitting down and talking with Amy from During Quiet Time. Amy has been a fixture in the online quilting space for as long as I can remember, um, which given that I can't remember what I had for breakfast doesn't say much, but she has been around for a while. Amy is a foundation paper piecer at heart. She's the author of three books. She is the designer of countless amazing quilts and just a really lovely, quiet achiever in this space. And I don't think we all fully appreciate how much of Amy's work has influenced the design space and the quilting space. And it was a real pleasure to sit down and talk to her today. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get chatting. Hi, Amy. Thanks for joining Hi. me. Thank <laughs> so, you for having me. It's my pleasure. As I was saying before we got started, you have been around for a long time, consistently producing amazing quilts and have been a stalwart. I don't know whether that's the right way that you say that in the quilting community for as long as I can remember. When did you actually get started? Gosh, that made me feel really old the way you I just know, said I'm that. sorry. I'm sorry. You're like the Winston Churchill of... <laughs> well, let's see. I started um, really when my kids were very little. So my kids now are in... My oldest is in college. My middle child's going to college next year. And then my youngest is a freshman in high school. Wow. And so it was when I was pregnant with her that I started my my website. Okay. Which is during quiet time because it was <laughs> during quiet time. During quiet time. time. <laughs> that I was sewing. So, yeah, it's been about 14 years. Okay. So you don't look old enough to have a child in college or even a freshman <laughs> child, if that makes you feel any better. Um, so obviously – during quiet time, did you find that that creative outlet helped you balance your energies for your parenting journey? Did you find it was a little bit of a recharge for you? Is that the the thing that kept you coming back? I think so. I've always been pretty motivated and driven. And so it was hard for me when I stopped um, working. I, I worked as a museum curator for almost a decade before the kids, well, okay, while my younger two were born, I was still working as a museum curator. I stopped when my second child was born. So I really loved that work, but I also was feeling torn between trying to, you know, manage home and work. And so I wanted to stay home with the kids. And we also took that opportunity to move back to my home hometown, which I really was a great move for us. And then we had our third child. So that's when I started, you know, modern quilting and sewing. And I definitely think it was helpful for me to have something that was just mine still, <laughs> you know, and something that um, was a good creative outlet because I've always, I've always needed goals to keep me going. I've like, I'm a very like motivated self-starter kind of person. and I need to 
to do that, to feel accomplished at the end of the day, you know? So I think it did help for sure. I think it continues to help. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So what is your chosen method of construction? If you had to choose one to live with forever, what would it be? Foundation paper piecing. I mean, it's pretty much all I do at the moment too. If, If there's a traditional block that I have to make for some reason, if it can be foundation paper pieced, I'll do that. <laughs> um, so I definitely like that best. I really like the fact that you don't have to be as fussy with it, if that makes sense, because I love just being able to like chop into my fabric with scissors and not have to, you know, carefully rotary cut and cut with, you know, measuring my ruler and worrying about the scant quarter inch, like all of that stuff kind of saps the joy out of it for me. So I like just being able to cut and chop and sew on the line and not worry as much about where it is and yet get something that looks very meticulous yes so did you have a background in quilting or is it something that you picked up later in life like is it a family thing how did you find fpp um yeah no no one in my family that i know of quilted but they did sew. so my grandmother you know sewed all of her own clothes my mom sewed many of her clothes our clothes when we were little halloween costumes all that so I had a good foundation in sewing. I could sew, like my mom and I made my wedding dress together, things like that. But no one quilted. So I think it was just that when my kids were little and I was looking online during quiet time, <laughs> the modern quilt blogs were were popping up. And I saw them and that was the first time that I had been attracted to quilts as far as something that I wanted to make. You know, Before that, I was interested in historic quilts as something to research and something to care for in my previous you know position as a museum curator but they didn't really interest me like I didn't want to make them you know and so I saw this modern quilting aesthetic and I'm like "Mm, you know this kind of looks appealing and so I started you know following some of the early tutorials and you know I made a simple nine patch quilt a cathedral windows quilt those sorts of things just to kind of figure out the mechanics of everything and um, as far as foundation paper piecing someone needed a block tested and I was like, sure. <laughs> I can't even remember now the time what it was. But I you know, went online, figured out what you're supposed to do. And I tested it and I decided, oh, okay, I really like this. And then I started designing those types of blocks. That's amazing. So I know there's a version of foundation paper piecing that uses, I want to say baking paper, but it's uh, freezer paper. Oh. Yeah. Have you ever tried that one or are you purely printer paper, newspaper paper? That's I use printer paper. I'm pretty basic as far as, you know, supplies are concerned. I don't like to have a lot of notions and extra stuff. Like I like the fact that I can just use the, the paper from my printer. Also, I like the fact that the paper is still in the seam allowances. I think it helps with precision and you don't get that with the, with the uh, freezer paper method. So that's a really good that's point. Why I've stuck with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you obviously have written a book called, or I say obviously because it's obvious to me because I got it, <laughs> but a book called Intentional Piecing. I have a starter question. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference between fussy cutting and intentional piecing? Well, <laughs> when I started writing that book, my publisher said, you know, there's not a book about fussy cutting yet. I see you do a lot of fussy cutting. Maybe that would be a good topic. And I said that I wanted to do something that was a little bit more than that. And so we started discussing what I meant. And so I think when I think of fussy cutting, I think of like isolating motifs. I think that that's like the first thing most of us think of just like, you know, 
cutting a two and a half inch square and, and placing the motif in the center, that kind of thing. And I want to talk, talk about other things too, like just choosing the right fabric for your pattern or the right pattern if you already had the fabric or how you might use a stripe or a salvage or a border print or a directional fabric, kind of like a whole bunch of different things. So she came up with the wonderful term intentional piecing, which I think really sums up my my approach to everything. It's with a lot of intention and a lot of thought. Like I, yep. I spend a lot of time thinking about what fabrics I'm going to use before I start a project and, you know, scale of the fabric and color palette and all of those things. So I wanted to kind of put it all together. Yeah. And it's a really great thorough looking look at fussy cutting because I, I think I come from a similar approach where for me it's not just about the motif, it's about cutting for colour, cutting for placement, cutting for texture. And so all of those things, I just, as an Australian, fussy wasn't a very big thing in our nomenclature. Oh, I can never say Mm -hmm. that word, in our language. Um, And so I always had a real thing about, oh, I'm not fussy. Fussy always seems like a troublesome, like you're, you know, you're demanding trouble, all that sort of thing. But I found, I don't know what it is, but this thing about I'm going to own fussy. Fussy is the, uh, you know, I am intentional about it. Mm -hmm. And so it was when your book came out, I was like, oh, that is such a good grown up term for (laughs) (laughs) a technique. It is a great name. Yeah. Yeah. And then the book obviously goes for a lot. And that in that book, correct me if I'm wrong, but the tell me a story block is in that book, isn't it? And right. so was that your first ever fussy cut based sew along that you did? It was the second one. So the first one was the mosaic story block, which yeah. is very, very similar to the tell me a story block, but I had already done that before the book was published. So I wanted something like that, but that I could put in the book. So it had to be new. Um, so I learned some lessons from the mosaic story block and improved upon it to come up with the tell me a story block. Because the whole idea with the tell me a story block is that it's using fussy cutting. The very first piece of fabric you're putting in there is isolating a motif. And then you're building the block around it to tell a story with your fabric choices. So I just thought it'd be a really fun way to approach your fabric stash to like think about things a little bit differently, not just do the fabrics go together? Because of course you want that still too. Like you want the the colors or the theme of the fussy cut to go with the border prints around it. But wouldn't it be fun if they told some sort of story? You know, so I'd choose like a squirrel print for the inside and then the outside some acorns or fall leaves or whatever. And you just make up a story that the squirrel is, you know, hiding its nuts for winter. It can be just that simple, you know, but some people make huge stories and go way, way, way beyond anything I've ever done, which I think is really fun. So basically the mosaic story block had more layers to it. So it required finding more fabrics to go together and work with the theme. And it was kind of hard. And the center fussy cup was a little bit smaller. And I realized that to incorporate more fussy cuts, it would have helped if the window size was just a little bit bigger. So that's how I developed the Tell Me a Story block. And it's a really popular sew along. Do you you run it every year or just certain times of the year? Yeah. What's your goal with Tell Me a Story? It's a variable schedule. <laughs> it would be nice <laughs> to say I had a, a real goal or plan. But because it's something that I just offer as a free swap, 
that's what it is. It's not really a sew along. It's a swap. I kind of do it when I can conveniently fit it in. And I've tried to avoid summers because I've realized early summers in the U.S. timeframe, which I know is not your summer, because I've just noticed that people kind of drop off and that the people don't always send their blocks. So I want to do it during times of the year when I know that it's it's good and everyone sends their blocks. Yeah. So I do them you know, during the rest of the year whenever I can fit it in. And um, basically, you sign up when when I advertise. I advertise it everywhere I can. So I put it in my newsletter, my Instagram, my Facebook, and my blog. And then I've started to have themes because people really liked the theme. I think the general, just like telling a story, overwhelms some people because yep. you can go so many different directions. So I realized quickly that like people really loved the Christmas theme swap. And whenever I do Christmas, I also do winter um, and or Hanukkah as well, so that there's something for everyone there. But people really liked that because it was so directed. Like, you know what to look for. You know what stories you're telling. So then I've started doing rounds with different themes. Like right now we're doing a, a beach theme. So just to make it a little bit more fun. And you always have your choice of signing up for the beach theme, for instance, or just the general swap. Because there are people who just kind of make these blocks and stash them waiting for the next swap. And then they're ready to go. Yeah. So that way it accommodates them too. It's a great idea for getting access to other people's stash so that exactly. if you don't have a massive mm-hmm. stash, you can supplement mm-hmm. the quilt with other people's fun finds. So we will put links to everything that we talk about today in the show notes so people can sign up and get on that mailing list. And it brings me to my next one. You have a new Fussy Cut focused event happening It is super cool and I can see the quilt behind you. So listeners, I'm telling you, go check it out in the show notes. Can you tell us what's coming for everybody so that they can rush along and sign up for it? Sure. It's called the Graphic Tea Quilt Along. And I really wanted to come up with a quilt design for the people who are enjoying Tell Me a Story so much, for people who really love fussy cutting. That was what was, you know, the goal of this design. And It's all different t-shirts that have different opportunities for fussy cutting in them because I was thinking, you know, we have fabrics that we stash for fussy cutting. I think most of us who are listening, right? We have, you know, a fat quarter that just has this cute little pattern that we know we're going to fussy cut for something, but we don't know what yet and we just stash it. And they're all different sizes, right? There's some really tiny ones, some bigger ones. And then there's prints like, you know, Anna Maria Horner, Tula Pink that are much larger. And I thought, it'd be great to have a pattern where all of those can be used. So what this um, quilt along has is four different 12 inch block t-shirts and each of those designs are slightly different Four nine inch blocks and four six inch blocks. So each of those 12 blocks has some difference. There's three different necklines, for instance, there's some have a big fussy cut in the center. Some have like a rectangular fussy cut Some have stripes, so you can do like a a focal print in a horizontal band, you know, like something like a vine of flowers or arrows or, you know, something like that. Then there's some that have um, trim on the sleeves, some that have pockets, a fussy cut pocket, things like that. So I really tried to, and one has a tag like down the bottom on the hemline. So that one's perfect for like the super tiny fussy cut that's like a quarter of an inch. So I thought it would just be fun to have all those different opportunities. And 
I made the large size quilt um, to show everyone, which is 66 inches by 72 inches. But for the quilt along, I'm offering all the directions to make that size or just one quadrant of it, which is like 33 by 36 inches, which is a nice wall hanging size. And that includes 16 blocks. So for the quilt along, what we're going to do is sew those 16 blocks and if you want a week, and if you wanted to make the whole quilt, you sew for a week <laughs> or you just sew the rest at your own pace later on. So that's, that's basically the goal you have until the end of uh, February to sign up. And then starting March 1st, we're sewing one block a week. And I've chosen new fabrics for myself for the next quilt I make. And I'm calling mine like the R-E-I-L-L Bean theme quilt. But I don't know if you know what those are at all. Well, I Do know you? L.L. <laughs> L- Bean is a clothing store. Yeah, I've not it's, heard it's like of the name. Okay. Yeah. They're both like outdoorsy stores, okay. like yeah. for um like uh, hikers and, yep. you know, outdoorsmen. <laughs> so I was choosing, and they're very popular here in New England where yep. I live because L.L. Bean's in Maine and I'm in Massachusetts. So it's like all right around here. So all my fabrics are like nature-based, you know, like little squirrels, mushrooms, uh, maybe like a skier or some hiking yep. printer, those kind of things, little trees. So that's what I'm doing for this one, just to be different from my first version. So this is going to be very cute. And I, it's one of the things that I really love about following your account is you take the most stunning quilt photos in and around where you live is just dream worthy. Like it's, it's one of those places where you could just happily imagine yourself living through your quilt photos. You give this real sense of being there in them. And the t-shirt quilt, the photo that you've posted on online is up against, is it a barn or a shed or something? Oh, outside, <laughs> yeah, it's a, like a building. A small, small barn, tiny, yeah. or a big shed. Yeah. <laughs> and it just punches all the colors in that quilt so well and it's you have a very do you think well, I think looking on you have a very similar aesthetic for your color palettes that you seem to enjoy playing with do you think that that's true or do you go and go oh no I like I like to play in everything it's just that I run a very smart business and so they all look the same and meet my branding colors and all that sort of thing <laughs> or is it that you are just really drawn to that specific palette. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, okay. So two things. Thank you, first of all, about the photography, because I, I really love taking quilt pictures, but it's also so hard yep. <laughs> because it's it's not easy to take them and they're big things and I'm only five feet tall. So just imagine all these quilt pictures involve ladders and tears usually. <laughs> so thank yep. you. And like the quilt picture I just took for this it's in the middle of winter here, it's freezing cold. There was snow on the ground. It was not fun. So um, it was worth it. It was worth it. <laughs> and I, I made a point to um, take the photos for all three of my books with Lucky Spool because I really wanted them to to show my area of the world and where I live and have that New England feel to them, as opposed to like wherever the publisher chose to to take them on location. You know, I really yes. wanted them to feel like where I live. As far as colors, I know I'm drawn to certain colors. I'm definitely not one who has like brand colors and tries to keep a curated feed. 
I think that would just stifle my creativity completely. I don't try to do that. I just try to stick with things that I like and hope that that ends up being coherent in some way. (laughs) Um, I don't like like Crayola bright colors. Like I don't like bright red, bright orange, like lemon yellow. Yeah, those aren't my colors. So just about anything else, though, I do use from time to time. And I try pretty hard to... um, choose different colors for my quilt backgrounds to stretch my color palette and stretch my colors a bit. So like for my petal and stem book, for instance, every single quilt had a different color background. Like I I don't often actually use like white or light gray for my backgrounds. I did in the t-shirt quilt behind me, (laughs) but it's not, you know, I often um, choose a color to try to make it a little bit more challenging and to you know, force myself to different palettes, but yet somehow they, they all still, you know, hold together kind of because I think it's just the colors that I like. Yeah, know? but I, I think looking on, you've got a really strong sense of who you are. And so that's reflected in your work. It's not, you're not trying to to shop every possible outcome. No, no. You're doing the stuff that makes you happy. And so um, it reflects that. And that's that's a really rare thing to see. And a lot of people in my experience, when we talk about fabric choices, really struggle with admitting what they like and shopping to what they like, not what they think they should like. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I find part of my job is to really try and encourage people to go, just if you buy what you love, you'll always love it. And if Mm -hmm. you work with what you love, there will be an innate cohesiveness between everything because you love it. So um, Mm -hmm. is there designers that you are drawn to or do you shop like everything or do you kind of go, I I tend to predominantly use this or are you a bit of everything? I do look around. Well, I I use a lot of solid fabrics too. So I I kind of have like two personalities in my quilting. (laughs) One are my more modern quilt designs that are more like graphic and bold and solid fabrics. And then those that are more whimsical, the fussy cut things that we're talking about today. For those, I will shop any brand that has what I'm looking for. You know, like I, I made a whole quilt. I don't know if you're familiar with it. That was all coffee cups themed after the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that it was quite yeah, a while yeah. ago, but I used my Rise and Shine coffee cup pattern and I wanted each cup to tell the story of a different character on the show. And for that one, I had to find fabrics from like everywhere to fit characters. Like I remember I was looking for a motorcycle fabric. I did not have any motorcycle fabric. <laughs> you know, so I, I would just buy, you know, whatever um, worked for that purpose. So I definitely think there, you know, there are certain ones. I love Ruby Star Society. I like art gallery fabrics. Those are two that I, I go to a lot for sure. But it can be anything. I love Anna Maria Horner's floral prints. I didn't use any of those here, but I use them a lot for my quilt backings because I like to use pretty florals for the back of my all solid modern quilts. So it gives me a way to, you know, pull in something else I like. Is there a, so you said you do a lot of solid quilts, which you do. And I wish Mm -hmm. at this time I was a modern quilting podcast (laughs) because we would talk a lot about um, (laughs) your very graphic geometric patterns for the more modern stuff but do you have a solid that you really like is there a solid that you I, like I above all like others the pure solid. Yeah, yeah the art gallery pure solids just because the the weave is so tight yeah. and they're a little bit thinner but not in a bad way like as opposed to being like 
some fabrics have gotten a little bit thicker and harder to press, I think, um, like with a, a nice um, crisp edge. So in a way that really feeds in well, actually, to fussy cutting and paper piecing, because that's one of the reasons I do like using the art gallery prints, too, because they press really well. And for foundation paper piecing, well, I think for any piecing, that's really important because if you can't press well, it's hard to match up seams and have them look the way you want. And I am yeah. very picky with my, like matching my seams and getting things to line up. I, I like that to happen. So that definitely helps a lot. Um, so I do like it for that reason. So that brings me, I, FPP is like my arch nemesis. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I would love to be able to do it proficiently, but it is a struggle for me when I do it. So already you're a superstar in my eyes for sticking with FPP for so long. Do you, in your T-shirt so long, teach people how to line up the motifs when they're working with foundation paper piece? Because it is a little bit of a, this is why I struggle with it, but the working back to front and... Mm -hmm. Um, lining things up I'm usually really good with fussy cutting if it's the first piece of fabric in the pattern but if it's like the fifth piece and an odd angle I'm out so do you teach people the techniques or tricks for doing that is there a technique that's your go-to for doing that like do you use a light box or a window or talk us through how you do that so for this I do say confident beginner at least knowing how to paper piece already because I don't go into you know, step-by-step how to paper piece, but I'm including a live Zoom session for the quilt along. There's two different times to accommodate schedules, plus I'll record it. And in that, I'm going to show like how I center my fussy cuts and how I place them because I think it's easier to show sometimes. I I wrote a little bit in the pattern, but it's easier to demonstrate. And I do use a, a light box. I think that that's the easiest way for sure. Holding up to a window or a light works too, but I think they slip more because you're, you know, holding it up high, then you're oh, putting yeah. it down and it just things move. So if you're doing that all on a flat surface, there's just a lot less shifting. And so it's more successful. And I try to design when I'm designing something for fussy cutting, I try to plan so that it is the first section whenever possible. So for most of the t-shirt designs, it is the first section so that people can be really successful with the placement of their fussy cut. There's a couple of t-shirts where it's not just because of the way that that particular shirt had to be designed. And I will give um, some tips on how to do that um, in the Zoom session, but it's mostly implementing the light box. That's really the the key, I think. And so did you, is there someone that you look to who influenced the skill set you've learned or has it been just trial and error, being aware of what the trends are? Because light boxes really only came into use in the last, well, it feels like the last probably five or six years. And so do you try and look at what other techniques are using and then see whether that translates to FPP or do you have to trailblaze and find your own way and then educate your community about it? How do you share those learnings? I think that's where it was kind of nice that I taught myself how to foundation paper piece because I didn't really learn the typical technique, like I don't use an add a quarter ruler or things like that. So I definitely have my own method for paper piecing that I really think I like finessed for lack of a better word while I was writing intentional piecing. Like it's kind of when I kind of put it up, pulled it all together in order to keep my fabrics directional while 
paper piecing because that's really a bit of a trick. And then over time, I've realized that I really need that for my larger graphic blocks in my modern quilts because in foundation paper piecing, people tend to stitch and flip and stitch and flip and things go in all different directions. And then there are all these bias cuts. And that's not a big deal when you're working on a tiny block. And so I think a lot of the foundation paper pieced patterns like a decade or more ago were were tiny blocks, like with um, lots of little star patterns and things like that. And it didn't really matter. There was so much stitching in them that they weren't going to get skewed when you went to quilt them, right? When you took the papers out. But with some of my large blocks, they have huge sections. And if you take the paper out and they're bias cut, you're going to have a big mess on your hands when you go to quilt. So I realized that, you know, learning how to paper piece while keeping my fabrics directional also meant keeping them on grain. So, and allowing me to fussy cut. So my method does all of that. And um, that's, that's what I tend to teach when I teach workshops or my online workshops is like how I go about doing that using a light box. Which is really good because a lot of like there's a trend at the moment that anyone can be a pattern designer, which is true. Anyone can be a pattern designer, but the truly good pattern designers will teach you the reason why you do it in a certain method and will take that method into consideration when designing their patterns to save you trouble further down the track. And so it's one of the reasons why I think you've had continued success is that that consideration of the end product for the person using your patterns is evident in the work that you do. And so I guess the thing, when you started writing patterns, did you have any pre, like you were a museum curator, which I kind of go, I don't (laughs) fully understand all the things that are involved in that, but is it a technical thing? Did you bring those skills into the pattern writing or is it that you had frustrations doing patterns and using other people's patterns and so you wanted to make sure that your customers didn't have that? What sets you apart as a pattern designer? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I, it's funny because my background, like what I studied in college, my major was art history. So I did a lot of researching, but I took a lot of classes in studio art. And I also took math classes for fun. Oh, right. They were yep. not for a major. They were not for a minor. <laughs> they were for fun. Because <laughs> um, I liked, you know, having my brain thinking in different ways. Like if you're in the library doing all this research, sometimes it's, and you're looking for an answer that you aren't going to find. Sometimes it's nice to just go do a math problem that you get the answer and you're done. So I liked balancing my work that way. So I definitely have like an analytical mind as well as a creative mind, I think. I think that maybe that's a little bit rare to have both of those sides kind of weighing equally. So I do tend to to think pretty technically, I guess, like while I'm writing a pattern, I try to be very concise because I know like lots of extra words are just room for error and people don't want to read them all. So I try to be as concise as I can. I try to design like when I design a paper piece pattern, I really think about the lines that I'm drawing and where the best places to put them and where they're going to have to join together and how could I make that easier. And I've gotten so much better that at that over the last decade. Like my earlier patterns have a lot more pieces than my p- current patterns do now because I've learned how to refine that. So I think I just like thinking that way. <laughs> like it's a bit of a game, like how I can do that a little bit better each time and try to have a better end product. 
And I think it's reflective. I mean, earlier you were like, oh, I have a split personality between doing modern quilts <laughs> and fussy cut quilts. But mm-hmm. you've just said then I like the challenge and I like to move my thinking around between mm-hmm. different disciplines. And I think right. that's reflected in in what brings you joy in your creative process. I guess if someone was to start, they've never heard of Amy Friend, they've never been on the During, during Quiet Time website and they want to get involved with you, where's the best place to start? Is it the T-shirt quilt that's coming up? Do they buy your book? Where would you want them to start with their introduction with you? So on the very bottom of my main page of my website, there's a sign up for my newsletter link. And I would really suggest signing up for that because one of my first scheduled newsletters that you'd receive is um, my best beginning paper pieced blocks. And that includes, you know, the like three or four standalone patterns. So you don't, I I wouldn't send someone to buy a a book necessarily right off the bat because they might not want to do that much. Um, Just a couple of less expensive patterns that are good for beginners. But I would, I do also direct people to the Tell Me a Story block, which is in my book, um, which does require buying the book, unfortunately. But Intentional Piecing has step-by-step diagrams for sewing the Tell Me a Story block. And I made a YouTube video going through each step of that. So I think those two combined are a really good teaching tool. And so many of my followers have learned to paper piece from that combination that that's probably my favorite way to to tell people, but if they don't want to make the book purchase, you know, there are some other single block patterns that I recommend. But I think that's a, that's a fun one for sure, because then if they get involved in the swap right away too, then they're addicted because they're making friends who are sending them mail and then they want to, you know, so their blocks as well as the people who are sending them to them. And it's like a whole, a whole <laughs> swapping culture. Well, they <laughs> get know, the community. Really they, yeah. Yeah. So just... Before we finish up, I'm going to circle back to the T-shirt quilt along mm-hmm. because I am obsessed with how cute they all look. What are the fabric requirements for participating? Do you do you go, oh, you know, you need a like a third will be focus prints with the motif that you want to do and then you'll need some supporting, you know, solids, tone on tone, ditzy prints. What should people start curating before they start? before everything kicks off? And does that information come to them in the first sign-up emails that they get from you? So when they sign up, they purchase the pattern as, like, they when they pay the fee to, to sign up, it includes the whole pattern. So they get that whole pattern immediately. So you could get that today, even though the sew-along doesn't start until March 1st, to give you time to, to collect your fabrics. But in there, it'll say that, you know, for one quarter of the quilt, you need about a yard and a half of background fabric for the whole quilt, you know, get at least, you know, six yards of fabric, something like that. It gives you, you know, what I ended up using for my quilt. And I measured what I used for just a quarter of it. And then I just said, you know, a collection of prints that are suitable for fussy cutting, some that are solids, because you want solids for the necklines, I think, to make them really distinct and pop. And then, you know, tonal prints or smaller scale prints. And a lot of that I'm going to go over to in the Zoom workshop because I want to show people what I mean when I say a small scale print or a non-directional print, because I think everyone's ideas of those are a little bit different and talk about scale, like what what size print you might use for the 12 inch block versus the six inch block and, and things like that. So those Zoom sessions are scheduled for the very first week of the 
quilt along. So people get that information right at the beginning too. But it's really hard to say in a quilt like this exactly like how much yardage of fussy cuts you need because it's just, yeah, it's just not possible. And also I've, I've learned with paper piecing, one person's needs are so different from another as to like how much fabric that they need, how much wiggle room they need when they're paper piecing and how much waste they, they have versus the next person. So most of my patterns will say, you know, like this much of this color, this color, this color. But for a pattern like this, you know, it's just a little bit too difficult to get down yeah. to that that level. I feel your pain because that's the question people <laughs> ask me. You're like, how much will yeah. I need? And I'm like, well, are you going to fussy cut? <laughs> and then you've right. got to go, how big's the repeat? How many do you get in a quarter? How many do you get in a half yard? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it is a real um, – but I, to me, that's the fun, right? Because I look at fussy cut fabric like an antique treasure hunt. Like I mm-hmm. I get so excited when I find a print and I love going to local quilt shops and having a look and going, oh, that print will work as a fussy cut for this. Or And because every fabric is not fussy cut friendly, it's like a little adventure every time you go in there looking right. for stuff. So I guess – the other question I have for you, and I, it has just left my head, and I was like, damn it, that's <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem with my, my baby brain that's still going 11 years after the baby turned up. <laughs> yeah, no, I've forgotten it. I'm so sorry. Okay. Oh, that's all right. Well, I'll just add that it's great for using fabrics from your stash because that's really what I did a lot of so that I didn't have to worry so much because – each t-shirt is different from the next. So you don't need a lot of yardage of any one thing. So I think most people can, most quilters, I know not all, but most quilters have enough in their stash to pull a fairly cohesive color palette and make these t-shirts. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. don't. I, I'm very limited. On- <laughs> yeah, no, it's like you'd have a hard time. <laughs> yeah. No, the question I was going to ask you is the one that everyone complains about with fussy cutting and I don't see it as a big issue. So I'm, I'm out there to change people's mind about it is the Swiss cheese effect of fussy mm-hmm. cutting. Do you have a tried and true method for using your Swiss cheese after you define fussy cut? Um, FPP is really good for small, the smaller scraps of, or do you yeah. go that's the casualty of fussy cutting and so, you know, you live with the Swiss cheese? Okay, so I guess... I have two sides to this too. <laughs> when I'm sewing something that has lots of one fabric, like I, so I guess that's not fussy cutting then, I use every little bit. Like I'll keep all the scraps on my table, use them whenever I can, like, because that's part of the challenge of it too. As, like, yep. as I'm sewing, like, oh, I got a small piece. Ooh, I have the perfect scrap here. You know, it keeps me going and sewing. So I'll, I'll do that. But as far as like cutting into a fabric to cut a fussy cut, I do not worry about like wasting fabric or things like that. I wrote in intentional piecing, something to the effect of if it's giving you the the look that you want, it's not wasting the fabric. I mean, that's, that's kind of what it's for. So with these t-shirts, by choosing the perfect fussy cut and cutting into your fabric to get it, you're creating a super cute shirt. To me, that's worthwhile. Yep. <laughs> so I don't worry about the fact that I chopped into it, but I'll fold it back up and put it back in my stash just like that with you know the holes cut out. And then sometime maybe it works for something else, but I don't, I don't stress about that for sure. Yeah, <laughs> me neither. And I've found over the years that there's lots of opportunities for using the Swiss cheese, whether um, a lot of times I'll take a motif out of a solid background print 
and I'll use the solid background to complement something else. Mm-hmm. Like I can cut that up to use it as it was like a solid. Or we donated offcuts to our local kindergarten and the kids had fun with them. You know, there's people love buying scrap bags and so scrap bags mm-hmm. of the stuff that I've cut into Swiss cheese. You know, there's other ways of being conscious of our wastage and making making right. the most of that fabric. But I agree, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, those T-shirts are so cute and make you so happy and the um, like I can see the little fox in the background on the peach <laughs> one. He's so cute. And you just kind of go, you're trying to, one, create art and, two, that art should elicit an emotional response. And so it's a small price to pay to make something that when someone sees it they smile or it reminds them of their childhood or reminds them of their aunt or their nana or something like, yeah, they've got to, they've just got to use the good stuff. Yeah. It's so much more wasteful in my opinion to leave it on the shelf and never use it because you don't want to cut into it. Right. So I'd, I'd rather cut into it and leave a hole or two <laughs> than leave it there and possibly have it fade or something like that where it's not you know usable anymore. Yep, or heaven forbid something happened to you and you never get the opportunity to cut into exactly. it. Exactly. And that would be mm-hmm. so devastating. But, yes, but I thank you so very much for your time today. I thank you for the insight into your process and on a completely sentimental level, I thank you for everything you've done in the um, quilting space that encourages people to love our craft as much as we do and to stay there. And I'm really excited to see all the T-shirts popping up on my Instagram feed as people dive into their stash. And, again, we will have all of those details in the show notes so people can sign up and start making T-shirts. A great one, I was thinking about this the other day, we got some leftover baby clothes from our son and I was like, the T-shirt project would be so cute to do it because I could make his little shirts. But, yes, so heaps of opportunities to use stuff you love. So thank you, Amy. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Fussy Cutters podcast. Enjoyed listening? Why not subscribe so you'll never miss an episode? Did you know the quickest way to the heart of any podcaster is to leave a review or recommend the podcast to a friend? It's true. It is. Until next week, get out there and fondle that fabric.